Good morning. My name's Jody Hanford, and this is Marita Hanford, and we'll tell you more about Marita in a minute. <laughs> There's a reason why they're clapping. <laughs> I'm a Christian Family Chapel missionary to the college students of the world. Why college students? Well, uh, in many countries, especially third world countries, only 1% of people will ever go to college one out of a hundred. And so soon after graduation, they're going to be leaders of some fashion in that country. So we love to send, I work with crew or Campus Crusade for Christ. We love to send long-term teams to go and live on those university campuses or just across the street and try to lead those college students to Christ and then disciple those that come to know the Lord. It's really thrilling to see them then begin to turn and reach their countrymen or their fellow students. For the Lord and hopefully make a lifetime of that. Something else that's exciting is that they sometimes desire to be missionaries themselves and go to nearby countries and take the gospel there across borders. As you may know, non-Americans, people from other countries can get into Muslim countries much easier than we can. And so they can, they can, get, they can go places where we can't sometimes. And so we love to, to see that happen as well. I've been a Christian Family Chapel missionary for 26 years, and for 20, uh, I was a businessman here in Jacksonville in, at the chapel involved in this ministry in this church when I felt called to the mission field. For 25 of the last 26 years, some of you have been praying for me to find a wife. <laughs> and so one of you told me, I'm tired of praying for you. Well, this, <laughs> this, is, this is the answer to your prayers. And so Marita, I... We just celebrated our one-year anniversary. Uh, Marita, I thought it'd be great for you to tell the chapel a little bit about your background. It's awesome being here. Thank you for taking care of this guy all those years <laughs> while I waited. Anyway, I'm from Virginia originally, and, uh, but at a very young age of seven weeks, my parents took me to Sicily. That's part of Italy, and it was a privilege to be there. Uh, just see, watching my parents serve the Lord uh, for 18 years. And then I came back to the States and went to Moody Bible Institute and got a piano degree. And um, was invited to return to Sicily and taught music and piano and choir to those wonderful people. And my long-term career has been teaching piano lessons and sitting behind a piano accompanying many musicians and choirs. So thanks for having us. <laughs> So with Marita's uh, 18 years of growing up as a missionary kid in Sicily and then going back as a missionary for two years, she's been an amazing asset uh, uh, to my ministry. So we love working together. And uh, she helped me train 11 teams this year in our first year of marriage. One of them uh, that uh, was ac actually went to Albania, which, as many of you know, was the one country that said we're officially atheistic about 40 years ago. That changed, and we're able to get teams in there now and minister the gospel. So thank you, CFC, for uh, allowing us to be an extension of your ministry uh, to the world. And we're going to be on the patio afterwards. Please come and say hi. We're also going to be at Panera Bread tonight on San Jose Boulevard from 530 to 7.30. So come by, have a sandwich, have coffee. Uh, we'd love to get to visit with you. And we'll be back next summer for a whole week. But thank you so much, Chapel, for being a blessing to us. Thank you. 
You know, it's really a privilege to be a part of a body of Christ for over the years to see the journey that God takes folks on and to celebrate with them and pray with them and, and to be a part of what God's not only doing in this community, but really around the world as they were sharing. I was going, all right, I see a guy back from Cuba. I see a young lady headed to Miami. I see folks back from China. There's just the work of God in and through the body of Christ. And it's really a privilege to be a part of that. Two weeks ago, I shared with you about my father's unexpected passing, how he had fallen and died there on his front porch. And so last Saturday, not yesterday, but the Saturday before, uh, was up in Pennsylvania for my dad's service. And I'd invited you who are here to pray for me and just want to report to you Super grateful for God's grace in that service. I was really uh, a little bit uneasy about the weight and the the emotion that would come with it, but amazing, not just a song, but amazing grace I experienced. And in the midst of it, the Lord gave me uh, a sweet, sweet gift. Um, I shared that... Part of my dad's journey was that in either fifth or sixth grade, he couldn't remember which, he made a public profession of faith. And he did, do it a, uh, did so at a Sunday evening service at a local Mennonite church with two other peers of his, a guy named John Stoner and Jim Hess. So he had been maybe 10 at the time, but didn't communicate to me to mid-70s about this specific experience. So I had written it all down to confirm that I had understood it. He said, yeah, that's what happened. So last Saturday at the service, I read what I had written about dad's public profession of faith. And after the service, uh, an older guy named John Stoner came up at the reception. He said, hey, I wanted to introduce myself. I was there with your dad. I was in fifth grade. He was in fifth grade, and I can still remember the guy who spoke. I can remember what he said to the three of us afterwards and charging us to walk with Jesus. And Jim Hess, the third guy who was with us that night, would actually be here as well today, except his sister died last week, and he is actually at her funeral right now while we're doing your dad's funeral. So it was a great gift. after years and years and years of really not even knowing and then hearing my dad share the story and it to be confirmed from a guy who did so with great joy in the Lord. So I'm really thankful for your prayers, thankful for the privilege to share the gospel, and thankful for that unique personal connection that the Lord gave us. Came back and we had trunk or treat. Any, Any of you make trunk or treat? It was, uh, we have, this has been, it it happens right here in my, out the parking lot to my left, your right, and people just pile in there. We estimated five to six hundred folks came through in the short time. By seven o'clock, we had already given away all 400 of our hot dogs. I mean, Frost ate a dozen of them, but that still doesn't account. No. Um, There was... A tremendous amount of opportunity just to connect with the community. Really grateful for that. But then I had to laugh because my daughter, oldest daughter, Christy, who just had a baby six 
weeks ago, she and her husband posted this on Instagram. You can't see it, but they carried a sign that says, exhausted parents. And that's a diaper, a bag of diapers there. And and they posted, didn't have to dress up for Halloween this year. It was just, just natural. And I thought, I recognize that. I see those exact looks regularly on Sunday mornings when I'm talking to folks. No, I don't. So, some of you, some of you have had that bad experience where I'm teaching and I'm watching you fight it, fight it, and then you just give up. <clears throat> well, all of us, whether it's been Sunday morning or as young parents, all of us have those weary moments. And I want us very specifically, and I hope you'll be encouraged by this this morning, we're going to see this morning a, t- a text where Jesus actually encounters the weary. And not strangers, not a crowd of weary people, some of his closest friends, he encounters their weariness. And we're going to see how he responds to their weariness. The context for their weariness, if you have a Bible with you, I hope you'll open it up to Mark chapter 6. Because the context for his encountering them as weary began in verse 7 of Mark 6, where he says that he, Jesus... Summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. And Any place that does not receive you or listen to you, as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. And so they went out and preached that men should repent, and they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. So two weeks ago, when we looked at that very passage, we acknowledged that this was a major shift in the ministry of Jesus, because these guys, the 12, had been with him now for many months, ministering with him, but now for the first time, he's saying, you two, you go that way, you two, you go that way, you two, you go that way, and they are out doing it without him physically present right there with them, and it's happening But we might get lost because in the text, if you're following along with me in Mark chapter 6, in verse 14, all of a sudden, because of what's happening, Mark includes an extended paragraph about John the Baptist and his beheading and how it all went down. And there's reason for it, good reason, but in the process, we get a little disconnected with this And what happens next? So after that extended parenthetical thought from verse 14 through 29, Mark then comes back in verse 30 and says, and it connects back to here, and says, the apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all they had done and taught. So this is a moment where He had gotten together, instructed them, sent them out. They had been out. We don't know for how long, but they had been out doing what Jesus had said. And now they're back again. And they're doing what? Reporting, right? Doesn't that sound boring? 
Bartholomew, your turn. Okay, thanks. Matthew, all right. John, keep it short. It seems reporting can sound like, you know, the treasurer. But what do you think the tone is here? Yeah, this is, a, this is an exciting time. Can you appreciate that? Because they're not just reporting, well, I went here and then I went here. They, what are they talking about? They're coming back going, oh, we went into this city and we met these folks and we preached this message and we saw these people healed and we saw these demons cast out. There was incredible enthusiasm for what's going on. It, it reminds me, actually... Maybe you have this experience, but growing up as a kid, going to camp, and the highlight being capture the flag at night, 10 to 12-year-olds in the woods, in the black of night, and there was a section of woods here, and a flag got planted there, and then there was a big open field that we called no man's land, and then there was another section of wood, and the other flag over there, and then no man's land, you try and grab people and drag them to your woods and put them in jail, and then there'd be jail breaks, and, and people would be trying to get the flag and back across. It was like 10 to 12-year-old boys' dreams. About after two hours, somebody scream, yelling across, and they'd blow the whistle. The flag's been captured, and the game was over, and then we'd, we'd go all back in and report. No, we'd go back in, they'd have this big pizza, or they'd have this ice cream, and everybody'd be talking like, man, I was in the, right behind the tree, and you walked right by me, and really, all I got, I dove into the prison, and I had the flag, and this guy, there's, you ever been that? There's these, all these stories, and you can't like, even get your story told? That, that's the, this is not Jesus going, okay, next, next. This is, this is incredible, privileged, enthusiastic, smile on the face of Jesus, smile on the face. Probably a little bit, Kevin, what you had of coming, you're finishing a day down at, am I allowed to say where you went? Okay, down in Cuba, down there, and experiencing sharing the gospel, and then coming back, and the joy of sharing the story. And it, it just raises up within me, folks, the deepest desire that it would not only be a select few in this room who would experience the privilege of what these 12 experienced, but that we would capture very clearly. If, a, if I'm a disciple of Jesus, I am a disciple maker. Do you know that? You know, that if, if you're a disciple, then you are a disciple maker. If you're not making disciples, then you gotta ask yourself, are you really a disciple of Jesus? Because disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. You see, this is the work that Jesus has done. This is such pure joy for him to go, man, it used to be the 12 of us, 13 of us going, but now two there and working, two there working, two there working, two there working, two there working. The work being multiplied and people experiencing the privilege of being instruments in the hands of God to make disciples. And you and I, as disciples of Jesus, we get that privilege. And, and some of us have been 
following Jesus for years, and we, we don't have a report yet. That's just too bad. It's not the way God intended. God intended, when you followed him, to become a disciple maker. Whether that means, man, next, next year I'm going to decorate a trunk and I'm going to engage with folks. I'm going to be a part of going on a short-term trip or I'm going to start engaging folks in, in the office just in, in conversations about spiritual things. I'm going to look for an opportunity to say, hey, there's that Thursday Bible form. Why don't you come with me? It's a free lunch and we'll hear about the scriptures. Yeah, it'll take a little bit of time. Let's go. Or, or you to go... Man, we hear about family groups around here all the time, but enough waiting. I'm just going to, let's get six of us, eight of us. Let's start meeting together. My home's available. I'm not sure exactly what, but let's start getting together and sharing life together on our walk with Christ. That's, that's part of participating in discipleship. It's, it's saying, man, I gave my whole fall to Wednesday night's truth quest, or I, I gave my whole fall to helping out down in the junior high, and, and God is at work through me. That's, that is what the head of this church, Jesus Christ, wants for his body. He wants us to be folks who are going out, being a part, Doing the part that he's uniquely made you do. And no need for you to look across the aisle and go, well, whatever they're doing, that's what I need to do. No. Man, I love looking out here and just going, I see folks who are so different than me and who are making disciples in their own unique God-given way. That's the privilege. We want to be able to share in the work. To share in the privilege. So they make the report, and it's not boring. It's exciting, and Jesus is enthused and excited with them, and he goes on, the text says, and he says to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and do what? Rest for a while. We usually talk about that in church. It's about, hey, we got something to do. But actually, Jesus says, man, that's some great, that's some great stuff. I say we go away and rest. And here's the context for his point. He says, this is not my thought, this is in the text. For there were many people coming and going, and they didn't even have time to eat. So the, they were back, but the ministry, all the people still around, he's going, we got to get away and do what? Rest. Rest. So watch. So they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. Isn't that awesome? probably didn't realize that Jesus invented the vacation cruise. <laughs> didn't he? Isn't that what it said? I didn't make that up. They went away and in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. Carnal was simply reading their Bible and went, man, we ought to get a boat in an island and start taking people away. Well, I don't know if cruises are biblical, but I absolutely know this. God believes in resting. He believes he believes in rest. It's a gift that he's been giving since when? Uh, since the beginning. In Genesis 1, it says, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to, the se to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. 
And it was so. So God creates lights. But now watch. God made the two great lights. The greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. Made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw it. It was good. What, what's, what's God doing? He's saying, as I create this world, I'm going to create a very distinct reality <clears throat> of a routine called a day of which part of it will be light. And during that light part, that, that you would be working. And then that there would be a turning out. God literally said, I, I, I say we just turn out the light. And we'll make a little lesser night because everybody likes a little night light for walking down the hallway. I'll make a lesser light for the night. Was God not even in creation in creating a day called day and night, light and darkness? What was he giving? He's giving the gift of daily rest. That's what he's giving. And we, we go, oh, no, we, we can keep it light all day long and all night long and undermine and take away the gift that God has given. But don't miss that the very way he created the day with light and dark was because he was giving to us a gift of rest, a daily gift and a weekly gift. It says, <clears throat> Genesis 2 at the beginning, by the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. So he rested. That's his pattern. Then when Israel comes out of Egypt, but before they go into the promised land on the Sinai Peninsula at Mount Sinai, he gives them the Ten Commandments. And there he says, six days you, as my people, you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, or your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner stays with you. For, and he goes back to Genesis, in six days the Lord, here's the example, made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God, in the work of creation, not only by how he created the world with a greater light and a lesser light, created a daily gift of rest, then by his example of working six and then resting the seventh, he created a pattern, an example for us of a weekly gift of rest. Now, let me acknowledge, if you have been with us for a number of months, you'll go, well, wait a minute. Back in Mark 2... Jesus was repeatedly accused of breaking the Sabbath. Yes or no? Yes? Okay. So he broke the Sabbath. So did he believe in the Sabbath or didn't he believe in the Sabbath? So I want to make sure. I've been looking forward actually to get to this few verses in Mark 6 to make sure that when we understand 
how Jesus confronted some of the Sabbath practices, what he was saying and what he was disagreeing with and what he wasn't saying, what he wasn't disagreeing with. Say it this way. When Jesus ignored the man-made traditions that had turned the Sabbath from being a gift into being a burden, he was rejecting the Sabbath regulations. He is not dismissing the need for rest. If you'll remember, here's how it says in Mark chapter 2. Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, here's a gift called the Sabbath that God gave to man, but they had taken that and made it so complicated and regulated it so much that it was no longer a gift. Because on the Sabbath, it was for, what's the word? Rest. But then you had to define, well, what is rest? Is taking a walk rest? Is playing a game rest? Is cooking your meals rest? So then they made all sorts of regulations about what was restful, what wasn't, and it became so complicated, so regulated, that it was more work to figure out whether you were resting or not. Jesus goes, you've missed the point. This was a gift to you. And the Son of Man is Lord even of the rest, the Sabbath, the day. Here's the funny part. Well, I don't know if it's funny or not. It kind of strikes me as funny. If the Sabbath, the seventh day is the day of rest, is it a use it or lose it deal? If you miss the Sabbath rest, are you allowed to rest on Tuesday? (laughs) You understand my point? Jesus is going... You've made this this gift a burden and you've made the whole point a day and you've elevated the day over the reality that it's intended to be rest. And the scripture clearly defines that that which happened, that he set up for Israel was, watch, was a shadow that was to point to the substance to come. Remember those, that language if you were here? There is no shadow apart from a substance. So the Old Testament law were shadows that were pointing to the substance, the person, Jesus. So ultimately, the day of rest was intended to be fully realized in the person of rest. And they had completely fumbled it. They had not only so regulated it, it wasn't restful anymore, that when Jesus, the substance, came, they rejected him in protecting the shadow, the day. I'm Lord even of the Sabbath. So it's not only a daily gift and a weekly gift, because rest is ultimately in a person, regardless of the day, it is a perpetual gift. And it is a perpetual gift of great worth. So consider with me at least 
these three worths of rest, ceasing to work. First, when we cease to work, it is a trust in God. In our abundance, we've lost a little bit of this. If you were in an environment where every day you needed to work to provide for food for that day, could you ever take a day off? See the dilemma? If, if, you can, if you can only have enough for that day, how am I going to take a day off? Well, the taking of the day, working six and resting one, was of great worth because it forced, don't miss this, it forced an active, resting is an active trusting in God. I am believing that God is my provider normally by my working, but on my day of resting, I'm believing that God is my provider even apart from my working. Most clearly revealed when the Israelites leave Egypt before they get into the promised land, a couple million of them are in a wilderness. And sometimes because we know the biblical account, we miss the fact that do you recognize they would have died from starvation had God not supernaturally provided for them in what's called manna? The, the scripture says that each morning when they arose, God had placed this manna all over the ground so that they could go and pick it up and it would be their daily bread for the day. But God said... It's going to be all over the ground, only get for today. Because I know some of us, we go like, sweet, get my bucket here, sleep in tomorrow. Not have to get up. No, work each day for your daily. And if you try and save for tomorrow what he provided for today, it would turn, is what the text, it turned worms. Except on the day before the Sabbath. I'm not making this. This is even too good to think up, but this is what God made. He said, the day before the Sabbath, I'm going to put the double out and go out and collect not only for that day, but for the Sabbath day, because on the Sabbath day, it's not going to be there. Don't collect it. And it won't go wormy, because I'll provide for you double on that day. It was a visible, now imagine this. It was a visible demonstration to them, I'm your provider, even when you trust me by not working. I love a sunset, not only because of its beauty, but sometimes we think, oh man, we don't get manna. Every night we get a sunset, which is a reminder you can trust me and rest. That's a reminder. I've built rest into your daily. I've built it into your weekly. 
I am your provider. And believing that he is our provider, the worth of rest on the flip side, same coin really, flip side is the admission of my limitation. Does that make sense? Uh, The worth of resting is recognizing I need to not only trust God to be my provider, if it's up to me, I can't keep going and going and going and going and going. There are no energizer bunnies of us. Have you ever done an all-nighter? Yeah? Yes? All-nighter? Two nights in a row? Three nights in a row? Yeah, the Marine here doesn't want to put his hand down. Four nights in a row? You wimp? Jeez. Wimp? No. At some point, what happens? You cannot go any longer. Watch. Gift. That's a gift. The way God made your body and my body is a gift of a reminder that we have limitations. Our limitations are a gift because they force us to trust in the Lord because we cannot trust entirely in ourselves because we don't have the capacity. We have limitations. So actually, the worth of God-given rest is it's the reminder I have to recharge. Third, worth, is that ceasing to work is an opportunity to enjoy life beyond productivity. Take in what you are writing down there. Ceasing to work is an opportunity to actually go, It's a great joy to be productive, yes? Oh, one of the greatest privileges we have is to be in the image of God, like God, in being productive. So much so, at least for me, maybe for some of you, it's hard to enjoy without being productive. You have a hard time taking a day off? Some of you are like, no. <laughs> but I try, I, I try to be very disciplined, take my day off. And, and I'll say myself, tell myself regularly, just, just relax. And I'm, a couple hours in, I'm like, well, Jackie will say, you're pacing. <laughs> and I am. I'm up. Uh, and, and it's just code like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> what are we going to? build or repair? What are we going to do? That's always always the question. What are we going to do? My oldest will go, Dad, I have perfected the art of chilling. (laughs) I I have not perfected the art of chilling. And so this, this is a super challenge to me to recognize that God on the seventh day did not say, sheesh, this, this creating work is like, wear your stuff out. He, he finished, he created, and then he, he took a day to enjoy the productivity of his hand. And that's hard for some of us. 
but part of growing in to living for the glory of God is being productive as he is productive and resting as he rested. As a reflection, I have limitations and he is trustworthy. So in the midst of that, here's a couple realities. Some realities as we seek to enjoy God-given rest. First, rest can only be enjoyed in the context of a commitment to work. This whole idea Well, the American dream is to retire early and not have to have any responsibility. You know what rest is apart from work? Laziness, right? Rest apart from work is just laziness. And the scripture could not be more clear. Read through Proverbs. Wow, it's full of wax for the lazy. And so, if you have a hard time resting, maybe it's because you got to learn to say, there's a time to enjoy productivity. But if rest is no big deal to you, maybe it's separate from the fact that But most of your week is committed to hard work. That's biblical. The, the scripture says very clear, 2 Thessalonians, when we were with you, Paul says, we used to give you this order. If anyone's not willing to work, he shouldn't eat. That's pretty strong. We hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. You know what busybodies? What's he saying? If you if you're a busybody, if you're in everybody's business, you need to get a job. That's what you need, so that you'll stop. Because if you got a job, you don't have time to be a busybody. Now, such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion to eat their own bread. See, I love the beauty of what Mark six gives us. Mark 6 gives us this incredible, joyful picture of the guys doing what God had made them to do. Disciples who were making disciples and then gives us the picture of Jesus going, way to go, let's rest now. Glory of God in disciple making, glory of God in resting. Take a break. Enjoy what God is doing. But it only happens in the context of work. At your, at your if, if you work for a company, you work with a crew, and you're a follower of Jesus, be known for your hard work. Second reality is rest must be more comprehensive than only physical. Sometimes we think, oh, rest equals sleep. Well, sleep is an important part of rest, 
But sometimes rest means I actually need to do something. Some of you have very intellectually demanding work requirements. And actually, when, when you come home, it's not like, okay, you've been pouring your brain out all day. You go home and this is why some people go, oh man, I love flowers or a vegetable garden. It's restful. I love to do something with my hands of a wood shop, something that, that's different than what you have been working at. When, when Jesus said to his disciples, to the apostles, hey, let's rest, what was the key? In his plan. Did you miss it? What was the key to his plan? Let's go away to a. Secluded place. In other words. Where there are no. People. He's like. Oh I can't say that. Jesus would never say that. Actually he did. He said, you guys have been hard at it. You've been peopled out. Let's get away from some people. Really? And, and this isn't new. We see him up to his ears and, is that what you're up to? Eyeballs, not your ears, which is higher. Eyeballs in people and then him going away to be by himself. And it's all he's saying to them. There is a time. To get by yourself. So rest, don't miss this, rest is more than go take a nap. Physical, you have limitations, you need to rest. But there are, we are physical beings, but we're relational beings. And we're intellectual beings. And we're emotional beings. And we, the over- Overwhelming majority of the way God created us is to be productive in those ways, but then to rest as well, each to the glory of God. Third, our practices for rest sometimes are counterproductive. The way we say it, or the way you people, the way you hear people say it is, ah, I need a vacation from my vacation. I need to go back to work and get some rest. Sometimes what we say is for rest actually isn't restful at all. And th this will sound silly. Very helpful when I actually considered the word recreation. Re-creation. Because for many of us, our recreation is not recreational at all. It's depleting us. 
And so we always live on this ragged edge, even though we're not working that much. We can, we can be very much part of our culture that is looking for more and more days off, but the days off are filled with less and less recreation. It's just other depleting type activity. So let's be clear. We're to work hard, and when we're not working, we have to ask ourselves, is our resting recreational? Is it refreshing? Is it renewing? You with me? Is it recharging? Or is it just another form of depletion that's happening? The, the best thought for me in this whole process was when I, re- you probably thought about this, but I'd never thought about it. When I realized, what are you and I made of? What were we made from? You and I were made from dirt. And you know the funny thing about dirt? Dirt needs to rest. It's true. You can, first of all, you go, wait, you mean dirt just sits there. But dirt needs to rest. You could plant a field and 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 you can watch fruitfulness go down because God created dirt to be productive, but there are with constant activity, you can suck all the good out of that dirt and you have one of two options. You can either to recreate it. You can either allow the ground to go fallow, that is to cultivate it but not plant it, and allow it to be restored to good dirt, or you can take another crop that will put back into the ground what your previous crops had taken out of the ground, and you can restore it in that way. And I went, well, hello, That's a perfect picture of us. We're from dirt. And every single one of us needs daily and weekly and seasonal times where we are either fallow ground or our activity is something that recreates within us that which has been depleted from us. It's the gift of God to us. And man, we're wasting it. Or we're making an idol out of it. So I I hope you'll ask yourself just a really practical question. Any adjustments you need to make about your daily routine? or your weekly routine, or even an annual, that you would go, I'm not, ow, Doug, I never really heard a message on rest. I'm not honoring God in this way. I've thought it's been more spiritual to go, I can go on four hours of sleep. That's not more spiritual. So, 
Some of it's really simple. It's called like, stop watching the late night show. There's a little clue in the title there. But it might be weekly. You may go, I have a weekly habit of supposable rest that actually depletes me. I need to rethink my recreation, my recreation. And so put a plan together and then watch this. Said Mark 6, they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves, vacation cruise. The people saw them going, and many recognized them in what they do. They ran there together on foot from all the cities, and they got there ahead of the boat. And when Jesus went ashore, it was a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He began to teach them many things. It was already quite late, so man, the whole day... His disciples said, this place is desolate. It's already quite late. Send them away so they can go into the countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. The disciples say, well, what about the vacation cruise? <laughs> That's not exactly what they say. We'll see what they say, but you get the point? Hey, he said, let's go away and rest. And then circumstances were such that said, can't get to it right now. See, we got to plan it and then be, we got to be flexible because we don't want to be people who dishonor God by ignoring rest, but nor do we want to be people who dishonor God by making an idol of our rest. Oh, no. This is my day off. No disciples of making today. The work of God does not work that way. So work to the glory of God, rest to the glory of God. Father, we pray that <clears throat> so some practical adjustments for each of us, honest that our days would be filled with hard work to the glory of God. And our days and weeks would also account for limitations, trusting in you and enjoying you, recreating in us in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for being here. I want to remind you that we have out in the courtyard this morning a special guest reception. It's over here. And we got some really good grill stuff going out there for free if you want to stop by and enjoy somebody else's productivity of cooking some meat. All right, God bless.